Uh, I hope you uh, picked up a copy of the uh, sermon notes. There'll, there'll be no PowerPoint uh, today, so we'll just be working off the uh, sermon notes. And if you did not get one, you could still get one as you leave uh, today. Uh, but uh, uh, been really uh, looking forward uh, f- uh, to this new series. Uh, as you know, uh, last Sunday uh, we began a, a new series on the Psalms of the Degrees, uh, which is a special group of 15 Psalms uh, that begin with Psalm 120 and ends with Psalm 134. Uh, I shared last Sunday my conviction uh, that these 15 Psalms were compiled by King Hezekiah uh, to commemorate uh, God fulfilling three promises he made to Hezekiah. Uh, The first promise, you remember, to heal him of a terminal disease. Uh, The second promise was to add 15 years to his life. And the third promise was that God would deliver the city of Jerusalem from the Assyrian invasion. Uh, As a sign to Hezekiah that he would be good to fulfill the three promises, uh, God performed the miracle of the degrees, uh, causing the shadow on the sundial of Ahaz to go back 10 degrees, thus the title, Psalms of the Degrees. I've entitled this series, Celebrating Triumph Over Trouble Through Trust in God. And the reason for that title is that these 15 Psalms can be arranged in five groups of three psalms each, with the first psalm in each group speaking of trouble, the second psalm, trust, the third psalm, triumph. So today, for example, as we look at Psalm 120, the focus is going to be on uh, trouble, and I have entitled Uh, this message on Psalm 120, When Trouble Invades Your Life. Uh, Please take your Bibles and let's read this little psalm. Most of these psalms of the degrees are uh, very short uh, psalms. As you're turning there, remember we also said last week uh, that we believe the reason he compiled 15 psalms is what? To commemorate the 15 years God added to his life. And then remember we said that four of the Psalms were written by David, one by Solomon, ten are anonymous. We believe those ten anonymous Psalms were written by Hezekiah, again in commemoration of God moving that shadow back uh, ten degrees. Uh, Remember uh, uh, after God healed him in singing praise to God, he said... We will sing my songs in praise of God all of our lives in the house of the Lord. And we believe when he mentioned my songs, he's referring to these songs of the degrees. So uh, here's the first one. Again, remember the focus here is trouble. So it's not a very pleasant psalm, uh, but it is one that, of course, uh, deals with reality. And I believe we're going to see we can all identify Uh, In my trouble, I cried to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, 
from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior when the burning, uh, with the burning coals of the broom tree. Woe is me, for I sojourn in Meshach, and I dwell among the tents of Kadar. Too long has my, uh, my soul has had its uh, uh, dwelling with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So following your notes, as uh, we begin, that first page is basically an overview of the historical background to Psalm 120, and I think as we see the historical overview, it really makes this psalm uh, come to life. The trouble alluded to in Psalm 120 is the Assyrian invasion of Judah, which came after Judah experienced a spiritual revival led by Hezekiah. And we looked at that revival uh, last Sunday as we were introducing this series. Uh, Now, prior to the Assyrian invasion is when we believe Hezekiah became extremely sick. And as we saw last Sunday, Isaiah, the prophet, was uh, sent by God to tell Hezekiah to set his house in order because he said, you're going to die. This is a terminal illness. Hezekiah, as we saw last night, cries out to God. God responds by not only healing Hezekiah, but adding 15 years to his life and promising to deliver Hezekiah in Jerusalem from the Assyrians. God then, as we noted a moment ago, supernaturally moved the shadow back on the sundial of Ahaz 10 degrees as a sign to do everything he promised. And uh, that focus is 2 Kings 20, verses 1 through 11. Uh, We read all of those verses last Sunday, looked at them very, very carefully. We do not need to repeat that. Now go to that uh, next uh, paragraph in your sermon notes after Hezekiah's healing. A Babylonian delegation came to present Hezekiah a gift of thanksgiving for his healing and to inquire about the astronomical wonder uh, which had occurred with uh, the degrees going uh, backwards. And by the way, let me just pause right here. At this point, the Babylonians would basically have been a third-rate country. Uh, they were just beginning to rise in power. Of course, you know uh, that eventually the Babylonians will be the ones to overthrow the Assyrians, and it will be the Babylonians that will eventually conquer Judah and lead them into the 70 years of uh, captivity. Uh, now, going on with your notes, instead, and this is very, very sad, instead of giving God the glory... Hezekiah exalts himself uh, by showing the Babylonians all of the treasures and military might of Judah in an apparent effort to secure an alliance uh, against the Assyrians. Uh, Take your Bibles. Let's just look at some of this. 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. Look at verses 12 through 13. It says, at that time, uh, Beladan, a son of Beladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah listened to them and showed them all his treasure house, 
the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious oil and the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. And then if you turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter 32, uh, this is where we find he was motivated out of pride. Instead of giving God the uh, benefit, giving God the glory, he was basically trying to show himself off and, uh, and the uh, Judean nation, and uh, he's called on the carpet for it, as we're going to see in just a moment. Uh, look at Second uh, Chronicles chapter 32, look at verses 24 and 25. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord spoke to him and gave him a sign, again, that sign of the degrees. But Hezekiah, notice verse 25, gave no return for the benefit he received because his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. And then look down at verse 31. This is an interesting verse. And even in the matter of the envoys of the rulers of Babylon who sent to him, who, uh, sent to, him to inquire of the wonder that had happened in the land... God left him alone only to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. Isn't that an interesting verse? Uh, and God tests us, doesn't he? Uh, through life's trials and circumstances to see uh, where our hearts really are. Uh, whether we really are trusting him or trusting in our own sufficiency. Whether we're truly a humble people or we are a uh, prideful uh, people. And let me make one other application here. We need to drive home the truth that in reality, although, you know, we're going to be talking about trouble and deep trouble uh, today related to the Assyrian invasion, we are most vulnerable to spiritual defeat, not in times of adversity, but in times of prosperity. I think that's a reality we need to all face. Uh, when Satan cannot defeat us as a roaring lion, he comes as a deceiving serpent. Uh, what Assyria could not do with their weapons, with brute force, the Babylonians did with gifts. So again, uh, although we're going to be talking about adversity, we're going to be talking about trouble, let's also realize the great challenge that prosperity and pleasure brings uh, to our lives. Uh, now, uh, look at that next paragraph as we continue with this, this historical overview. The advancing... Assyrian army. And let me just pause right there for a moment because we need to appreciate this. In the entire history of the world, and I do not say that lightly, if you have studied the Assyrians, you literally, in the entire history, you cannot find a more savage, a more cruel, or a more bloodthirsty people. The best way I would know to describe them, they were like the Nazis, uh, Nazis of their day. Uh, you know, just to give you a couple of examples, one of their greatest pastimes was to decapitate uh, the enemy after they conquered them and then uh, build pyramids using their heads. Uh, they found great joy in skinning people alive, even children, and burning them alive. Uh, they found just absolute amusement in um, uh, gouging people's eyes out, cutting off limbs. And I'm not even 
beginning to tell you the half of it. And, and the reason I mention that is for you to understand the terror that would have come into the hearts of the Judeans when they realized the Assyrians have invaded. And they were just not only cruel and bloodthirsty, this was the most powerful military machine on planet Earth at the time. This was, at this point in history, the greatest world empire that this Earth had ever seen. And they were just mowing everybody down. And uh, there was not a single country in the world at this time, and, and even alliance of nations uh, that could uh, really uh, slow them down. They uh, just uh, were a dominating uh, force. So going back to the notes, realizing that the advancing Assyrian army comes into Judea and overthrows, we're told, every fortified city in Judah, except two, Jerusalem and Lachish, which were the two greatest fortified cities in Judah. So now think about that a moment. Syrians have invaded. They come into Judea. They literally subdue, conquer, defeat every single fortified city. Matter of fact, in uh, ancient Assyrian inscriptions, uh, they, they specifically mention 46 cities in Judah that they conquered. And there's only two left, Lachish and Jerusalem, which were the two greatest fortified cities uh, in Judah. Now, continuing with the notes, when Lachish comes under siege, which was only 30 miles west of Jerusalem, Hezekiah sadly capitulates to Assyrian demands in an effort to buy peace. Hezekiah gives the Assyrians all the silver and gold from the temple and king's treasuries, but quickly learns you cannot appease evil. Look at 2 Kings chapter 18. It tells us about this. 2 Kings chapter 18. Look at verses 13 uh, through 16. It says, Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, uh, Zacho, uh, uh, the king of Assyria came against all the fortified cities of Judah. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came against them uh, and seized them. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, said to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. So the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver which was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorpost which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Uh, I think this is sort of interesting because he had just shown off all of that to the Babylonians. And he's knowing a little chastening here. God's, God's correcting him. God's disciplining him for his, for his pride at this point. And... Uh, but there's even a greater struggle of faith because God has given him this promise that I'm going to deliver you from the Assyrians. But now that the invasion has begun, uh, he, he's struggling. Uh, he's, he's wavering at this point. And, uh, and aren't you glad that the uh, Bible is honest with its biblical heroes? Uh, because Hezekiah is really lifted up as a great Old Testament hero. Uh, he's, he's, uh, oh, his overall administration is greatly commended by God. 
Uh, he's commended by God as a man of great courage who put his trust in him. So there's some comfort to us to know that uh, learning to trust God, learning to put our, it, it's a process. And there will be ups and downs, and we see this in Hezekiah uh, as well. Uh, and then going back to the notes, uh, it doesn't work. You cannot appease evil, right? You just can't. We, I mean, history teaches that. And it's, that lesson has been repeated over and over and over. The Assyrians continue their siege of Lachish, which is eventually conquered. And then Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, sends his three top officials, along with a large contingent of his army, to arrange for Hezekiah's total surrender of Jerusalem. Uh, Rabshakeh, the title of the king's advisor, a very skilled propagandist, attempts to persuade Judah to surrender through fear and intimidation in 2 Kings 18 in those verses, and he made four arguments. And I do want us to look at these because the heart of Psalm 20 is the trouble is this deceitful tongue, the, the lying lips as, as, and that's being referred to this king's advisor who's trying to intimidate the Judeans and Hezekiah and instill fear in their hearts so that they will capitulate, so that they will uh, surrender. And so he makes four arguments, and here they are. First, he says there's no help in Egypt, who was their primary uh, ally. Uh, and, and that's sort of interesting as well, because if you know your biblical history, Isaiah and the other prophets kept warning Judea, don't trust in Egypt, don't trust in Egypt. But the more the prophets told them that, there was a tendency for them to, to look uh, to help, to look for aid and support uh, from the Egyptians. So that's why he focuses first on the Egyptians uh, and trying to uh, uh, derail their confidence in them. Look at 2 Kings 18. Look at verses uh, uh, 19, 20, and 21 on this point. Then uh, uh, Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what is this confidence that you have? You say, but they are only empty words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now on whom do you rely that you have rebelled against me? Now behold, you rely on the staff of this crushed reed, even on Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all who rely on him. But if you say, uh, well, let's just stop right there. And it's very interesting, and, and you need to know this history. Right before the Assyrians invaded Judea, the Egyptians came up from the north to meet them in a city on the uh, eastern shore of the Mediterranean called El Tiki. And the Egyptians were defeated. And so the Judeans would have been well aware of this. That the, uh, at this point, he, they didn't finish the Egyptians off, but they, it, was a, it, was a, it was a horrific defeat for them, and they were going to be in no position to come to Judea's aid. The second argument he makes, which is a, a, a fascinating one, is the Lord will not support Hezekiah, but has actually called the Assyrians to attack Hezekiah because he destroyed the altars in high places. He's actually making reference to the revival 
that Hezekiah led, where he destroyed all the high places and restored uh, worship in Jerusalem. And he actually makes the argument that the Lord's not going to support Hezekiah because, because he did that. I mean, the Lord has actually called the Assyrians to attack Hezekiah and defeat him. Look at verses 22, 23, 24, and 25. He says, but if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose halters Hezekiah has taken away? And it said to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. And now therefore come, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them. You see the irony? I'll give you, I'll, I'll you 2,000 horses, but you ain't even going to be able to find riders to, to, to get on their backs. Verse 20, and, and then... Uh, can you repulse one official of the least of my master's servants and rely on Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? And have I come now without the Lord's approval against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. And so uh, he's actually probably making reference to some of the prophets and, uh, and, and them pronouncing judgment. Uh, remember, they had already taken uh, conquered and taken away into captivity the northern kingdom of Israel, and uh, now they're looking at the southern kingdom. Uh, the third argument is basically he, they're saying force Hezekiah to surrender, and the beneficent king of Assyria, that's a laugh, will provide the people all the blessings their king and God cannot provide. Uh, look at verse, uh, begin reading verse 26. Then uh, Elikam, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebna and Joah said to Rapsaka, uh, Speak now to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it, and do not speak uh, with us in Judean in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. You hear what's going on? You know, they're negotiating right outside the wall. All the soldiers are on the wall. The diplomatic language was uh, Aramaic, uh, but the uh, Assyrian is speaking in Judean so that all the army and the soldiers can hear what's being said. And the uh, people that are advising for Hezekiah, they realize the impact, the negative impact this can have. They say, don't speak in Judean. And so that just encourages him even more, as you can see. But Rabbishah said to them, uh, uh, has my master sent me only to your master and to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall doomed to eat their own dung and drink their own urine with you? He's talking about when this siege begins... You're going to be cut off of all supplies. Famine's going to come in, and that's going to be your situation. Then Rabbishakah stood and cried with a loud voice in Judean, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you from my hand, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me, and come out to me. And eat each of his vine, and each of his fig tree, and drink each of the waters of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. So he, he's, he's trying to create division uh, within the Judean forces themselves to put pressure on Hezekiah to capitulate, to surrender so that they uh, uh, will not suffer this imminent doom and, uh, and why they would even uh, be tempted 
to think that the Assyrian king was being honest in his overture is, is amazing, but, uh, but uh, that was the situation. And then look at the fourth argument, uh, which uh, is the one that riles God up, we're going to see. Uh, God could not save Judah if he wanted to, because Assyria had conquered the gods of all the other nations and would conquer Jehovah too. Look at that last phrase in verse 32. But do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered his land from the, ki- uh, from, uh, the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Aphpad? Uh, where are the gods of Sepharim, Hena, and Ipha? Have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among, and remember Samaria, that's the southern kingdom who worshiped the God of, uh, of the Judeans. Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their land from my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem uh, from my hand? So now, going back to Psalm 120, it is these words, these very words that we just read, a fear and intimidation spoken by the Assyrian king's official that is being referred to when we read, deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. And when he refers to those who hate peace. And of course, Hezekiah ends the psalm by saying what? I'm for peace, but for when I speak, they are for war. Now, prior to the Assyrian invasion, and don't miss this, and we can all relate to this, Hezekiah and the children of Judah were on the happy side of life. Uh, They were still on the high of a spiritual revival. God, we're told in the scripture, was giving them great prosperity and peace. Then everything changed in a moment. With these words from 2 Chronicles 32.1, after these acts of faithfulness, after all that faithfulness on the part of Hezekiah and the children to God, Sennacherib. King of Assyria came and invaded Judah and besieged the fortified cities. And then in the very next verse, the way it literally reads in the Hebrew text is that Sennacherib had his face for war against Jerusalem. Is it not amazing how quickly and dramatically circumstances in life can change? Have you ever experienced that? I think we all have. And this is alluded to in James 1, when referring to trouble, he writes, when we fall into various trials. The words translated fall into various trials is the word peripipto in the Greek text, and it literally means to fall into unexpectedly. It's the same word used in the story of the Good Samaritan, where it says he fell among the thieves. The idea is that without warning, you become surrounded. You become ambushed by problems that threaten to defeat and crush you. Very seldom can you anticipate the problems you encounter in life. Problems are unpredictable. Hezekiah and Judah are in big trouble, and they had to be struggling with the question, wait a minute, I thought God promised to deliver us from the Assyrians, and here they are. Now, Psalm 120 helps us see the great stress we experience when confronted by trouble. And again, I believe we're going to all be able to identify with this psalm. So look with me in your notes at first the emotions trouble evoke. And let me warn you, uh, 
this message is not a terribly uplifting message. You need to be back next Sunday because remember we said these psalms are in five groups of triplets. The first deals with trouble. The second what? Trust and then triumph. So next week, we're going to turn from trouble to putting our trust in God who brings uh, the triumph. The emotions trouble evoke. And the first one is you feel the anxiety of impending doom. You feel the anxiety of impending doom. Psalm 120 verse 1, he says, In my trouble I cry to the Lord. That word trouble, you might want to circle that word trouble. The actual word that is used carries the idea of being squeezed or being trapped into a very narrow and confined area with no way of escape. The pressure is so great, you feel like the life is literally being squeezed out of you and eventually that you could just be totally crushed by the weight of it all. And this is exactly the situation Hezekiah and the residents of Jerusalem were in as a result of the Assyrian invasion. Look at how Hezekiah described their situation. This is how Hezekiah described it as he sends this message to the prophet Isaiah. 2 Kings 19.3. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, rebuke, and rejection. And, he, and the day he's talking about is when they had that meeting with the Assyrian official and he brought those lying, deceitful, intimidating, fearful words. He said, this day is a day of distress, rebuke, and rejection, for children have come to birth and there is no strength to deliver. Do you know what he's referring to there? It's a very powerful uh, metaphor or analogy. He's referring to a woman in labor with a breach delivery who is pushed and pushed and pushed but there's no strength left to deliver. And now both the mother and the baby are in grave peril. And in the same way, he's saying there appears to be no deliverance, no deliverance from the Assyrians. And that Hezekiah and the children of God, uh, they're, they're, all, they're left with this impending, an uh, awful sense of doom on their hearts and lives. Have you ever been there? It's the reality of trouble. And again, there is a measure and comfort to know this is what it means to be human. And in the frailty of our humanity, we do struggle. And God understands that struggle. He understands our frailty and our weakness. And that's why we're going to say he comes to meet us in our weakness. But not only the anxiety of impending doom. I wish we could stop right there. It just sort of gets worse. You feel demoralized, just totally demoralized by the lies of the enemy. Again, Psalm 120, verses 2, 3, and 4. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from these lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with the burning coals of the broom tree. Look at 2 Chronicles 32, 18 that sums this up well. And they called this out with a loud voice in the language of Judah... That's what we just read about, but this is the account from 2 Chronicles to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall. Notice, why? To frighten and terrify them so that they might take the city. How often have we said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. 
nonsense. Words hurt us. Words impact us. Words demoralize us. We struggle when we come under attack. Whether Satan is using others as pawns to bring that message or he's just attacking us in our own thought, life, and uh, emotions. And here's the greatest struggle that we have when trouble invades our lives. Uh, See, when trouble comes in, don't miss this. When trouble comes into your life, so does the devil. And he comes with all sorts of lies and deceptions to demoralize you. Now, let let me just pause right there. Let's, Let's put the balance here. When trouble comes, both God and the devil comes. Of course, God comes to give you comfort, strength, promise. But the devil comes to what? Demoralize you. He's also a master at reminding you of all your past failures. That you're just a loser and you're about to lose again. And you need to understand that the devil has one lone objective. And that is to cause you to lose your faith and confidence in God. Why? Because the devil knows without faith it is impossible to please God. And the level, devil knows that it's through faith that God's power is released into our lives and into our circumstances. And so when you get down, when you begin listening to the devil's lies and you get demoralized, let me tell you something, he won't let up. It's like a shark that he smells the blood and he's going to go after the kill. And what's going to end up happening, I'll tell you, and and we've all experienced this. I've experienced this. You've experienced this. He pounces, and it is ferocious. It is fierce. You feel totally what? How are we going to describe it? How many words? Disheartened, dispirited, dejected, cast down, without hope, depressed, dismayed, daunted, discouraged, unnerved, crushed, shaken, thrown down, subdued. And if you let the devil, he will break your spirit. And he will make you feel like someone has literally knocked the stuffing out of you. And at this point, again, we've all been there. You are no longer fighting the good fight of faith. But you're what? Waving the the white flag of surrender, but to the devil. But again, we're going to see this moving into next week. And, and this is the challenge in trouble. Those feelings are inevitable because of the frailty of our humanity. We're going to wrestle with all of that. But here's what it comes down to. And I've said this from this pulpit before. On this hand, I'm looking at what appears to be, from my perspective, a human impossibility. Just like Hezekiah and the children of Judea were looking at the Assyrians, who were much mightier than they, saying, We don't see any way we're going to get out of this. But on this hand, there's the impossibility of God breaking his promise. And that was the challenge for Hezekiah and the people of Judea. Are we going to light here on the human impossibility and get eaten up by the devil and become totally demoralized and surrender? Or are we going to say, forget you, devil. 
I'm going to put my confidence in God. He is able. It's impossible for God to break his word. He's a God of integrity. And yes, I don't know how, but he will use even this. Yes, even this for my good and his greater glory. And so I'm going to put my trust in him. So you feel the anxiety of impending doom. You feel uh, demoralized by the lies of the enemy. And then look at the last, last one. You feel stressed out. I mean, just totally stressed out as you long for peace which cannot be found. He says in verses 5, 6, and 7, Woe is me, for I sojourn. It's a, it's a lament. Woe is me, for I sojourn in Meshech, for I dwell among the tents of Kadar. Too long has my soul had its dwelling with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Meshech and Kadar were longtime enemies of the people of God. Meshach, being uh, distant north of Judah, up toward the Black Sea, and Kadar being far south of Judah uh, in the Arabian uh, tribal areas. So it would have been impossible for the writer to uh, be living in both locations at the same time. He's using their names as a metaphor to indicate that he's surrounded by hostile and brutal barbarians whose one goal is to devour God's people and wipe them off planet Earth. A perfect description of the Assyrians. And there is nothing, nothing. Have you been there? I have. There's nothing so terrible as the stress of longing for peace, longing for relief, longing for just a brief moment of rest. But there is no peace. There is no relief. There's no rest. You can't even sleep. Job described this, look at those verses, Job described this very, very well as he was struggling in his, with his suffering. Job 3, verses 20 through 26, oh, why give light to those in misery and life to those who are bitter? They long for death and it won't come. See what Job's saying? This is so overcome me, will you just take me out? Just give me the sweet peace and rest of death. Why is life given to those with no future? Those God has surrounded with difficulties. I cannot eat for sighing. My groans pour out like water. What I always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come true. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest. Only trouble comes. So all those feelings are inevitable when you encounter trouble, anxiety, feelings of being demoralized, intense stress. But of course, remember what we talked about last week? What's the beauty of the Psalms? The Psalms are probably the greatest place in Scripture to go to know healing with your feelings and your emotions. The best place to go to process your feelings when you're really struggling with God. Because the Psalms gives you an opportunity to inspect your feelings in light of God's character and His promises and then bring those feelings in harmony with God. Because so many of the Psalms, the psalmist is struggling with trouble. 
He's struggling with anxiety. He is demoralized. He appears to be without hope. He's overcome with stress. But in so many of those Psalms, he works through that and comes to a place of resolution. What? In his relationship with God. That, yes, this may be hard, this may, but God is able. And I will trust him to fulfill his promise in my life, and we place our confidence there. So as we close, very, very quickly, look at the lessons trouble teaches us. But please be back next Sunday uh, as we'll go much, much further on this point as we look at the matter of trust. Number one, you cannot buy or manipulate yourself out of trouble. Trouble is inevitable and inescapable. I hope you understand that as a believer. Just because you've come to know Christ doesn't mean that you're going to be immune now from problems and troubles and difficulties. No. They're inevitable and inescapable. Look at what the Apostle Paul said in Acts 14, verse 22. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Circle many. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The second lesson. When trouble comes, there's only one place to look, and that's up to God. Only place you're going to find any resolution, only place you're going to find any answers... And, that, and that's what, you know, I love so many of the Bible characters, like Job or Jeremiah, that, are, that, are, that greatly are struggling with God. But they never stop going to God. They've realized, yes, I'm struggling. Yes, I'm, I can't see any rhyme or reason. I'm even upset, mad at God right now. But they realize there is no resolution for anything outside of God. And so they just keep, that's why Job says, though he slay me, I will what? Trust him. I don't, you know, and they just keep going. So that's one of the great lessons that we even learn here in this story of Hezekiah and the Judeans. When trouble comes, there really is only one place to look. And that's up to God. And that's why he said, in my trouble, I cried to the Lord and he, what? Answered me. And we're going to see that next week. As they put their trust in God, how God miraculously answered. And then the last thing, the primary issue when trouble comes is not how to escape trouble, but how to endure trouble in a way that exalts God. That's what we're after. This is, this is where we want to get as believers. And it's not an easy place to arrive at. Uh, but praise God, He has the ability to get us there as we trust Him. The primary issue... When trouble comes, is not how to escape trouble, but how to endure the trouble in a way that exalts God. Look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. When all kinds of trials and tribulations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resist them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. That sounds stupid. Why? Why? Look, realize. Here's why. Realize that they come to test your faith, and to produce in you the quality of endurance. But let the process, notice, process, process, go on until the endurance is fully developed and you will find you have become men of mature character. Amen. Where Jesus is put on display and exalted. So next Sunday, Psalm 121. And let me just give you a taste. Here's the first two verses, and aren't you glad? I will lift my eyes to the mountains. From whence shall my help come? 
My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen? Amen. Father, uh, thank you uh, for this uh, lesson today from Psalm 120. Um, Father, I believe what we've seen is that uh, this is just uh, common to the human experience, that when we face trouble in our human frailty and weakness, we do struggle. We struggle with anxiety. We struggle with feelings of being demoralized. We struggle with stress. Um, Lord, uh, as we're going to see next week, I pray that we will know your grace your tender mercies and love, that you would use even the anxiety and, and those feelings of being demoralized and the stress to push us to you, uh, that it would just cause us to see our dependence on you, create a desperation for you, and uh, to where we would cling to you. And, uh, and as we put our faith in you, uh, a God who cannot break his promise, that we'll see your power released into our lives and our circumstances for you to accomplish your plans and purposes, that Jesus would, would be exalted. So, Lord, I, I know there are many sitting here, right here this morning, that are in trouble, that are in great difficulty. They've been able to relate to this truth. I pray you would encourage their hearts with you and uh, continue to encourage us as we go uh, through this series uh, that we would truly come to that place of celebrating triumph over trouble through trust in you. For it's in Christ's name we do pray, amen.